Hello friends, this is Mark Gladman, also known as Brother Frederick James, your friendly neighborhood monk in docs, welcoming you to Monk on the Mic, the Monk in Docs podcast, and this is episode 13. And this is, oh my goodness, this was such a beautiful conversation I had with uh, author, spiritual director, and speaker, Lisa DeLay. And this episode is called Relationship is the Core of Sustainability. Now, if you believe in the importance of a sustainable planet, a sustainable earth, you are going to love this conversation because uh, the reason why I wanted to have a conversation with Lisa is she spent uh, about two weeks, just over two weeks, at Earthship in Puerto Rico, which is a project in sustainable living. And we sat down to talk about what that looked like in terms of how that spoke to her spiritual and theological understanding of things as she uh, became a part of this work in sustainable living. But as we spoke, there was this shift in the conversation that happened, an incredibly powerful shift. And we started to realize that if we're going to have a sustainable planet, We can do all the things about recycling and all this other stuff that we do to have a a sustainable planet, which I think is vitally important. But what we both realized in the course of this conversation was that we can never have a sustainable planet until community and relationships are sorted. And so enjoy this conversation. This is episode 13 of Monk on the Mic, where I talk to Lisa DeLay about relationship is at the core of sustainability. Enjoy. So Lisa Kalandale, welcome to Monk on the Mic. Thank you for joining us today. It's really my pleasure. Thank you so much, Mark. No, that's fine. Now, look, um, a lot of people may not know who you are, uh, and I'd love to know a little bit more about you than what I do through our connection on Instagram. So tell us a little bit about your work and and what it is and maybe even your 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 spiritual journey to where you are today just a, sh- a short little bit about that to give us a, a place of where you are in the world sure um right so i'm i live in pennsylvania in north america in the united states and i was born on a colony uh in puerto rico puerto rico um which is a colony of the united states is has a strange relationship with the united states i'm an american citizen um, but more people live on the mainland United States than live in on the island. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, so my background was being a pastor's kid. So I was exposed to spirituality and Christianity and a specific, very fundamentalist version of that from a very early age, felt a connection spiritually with God from a very early age, but also deconstructed, really, I guess you could say from an early age to questioned a lot of that early on. Um, earlier than most people and more deeply maybe than most people but eventually went to seminary in my 30s I thought because I wanted to be uh, writing to Christian audiences but it really I think God was taking me on a a very healing journey and from there I got exposed into uh, other um, streams of Christianity the contemplative stream for instance other writers uh, realizing that Christianity didn't start 500 years ago and Europe was helpful um, and really have been on, got a master's degree in spiritual formation and really 
enjoy walking alongside people, really enjoy the connections and relationships of, of what that entails. And I've been writing a blog since 2005, um, podcasting every single week and sometimes twice a week since 2000 and, oh great, now I'm gonna blank, let me think. Um, for eight years in, in April. And that really helped me get a platform to be able to write a book which is called The Wildland Within. It's a spiritual formation book, but it's also um, brings in some Christian history, brings in uh, ideas about culture and hidden influencers, as well as other voices outside of the typical voices we might think of when it comes to contemplative spiritual practices, which is usually some of the first people I heard when I was uh, introduced to that were um, European male clerics, which fantastically influenced me in such amazing ways. We're talking like Her Henry Nowen, um, yeah. Thomas Merton, you know, all, all the greats. But as you can see, it's a, it's a very specific demographic that doesn't include most people in the world. Right. And so I wanted to speak into that with what are some, who are some other voices we've been missing? What have we been missing? And include that in my book. Um, some of the other voices that we can learn from we uh, the gospel usually uh has as god does it comes from the margins um jesus came from the margins to so, to save us and so um that's kind of been what I've, I've been up to and then since last year i've gone back to my homeland puerto rico and uh, now that my kids are on their own they're grown up enough to live on their own i feel like this is an inflection point in my life where i can go down and help the people of Puerto Rico, which almost half of them are in uh, severe poverty. Uh, we're talking no clean water, which a lot of people take for granted in the States. Uh, most don't have clean water. Um, the prices are considerably higher than they are in the United States, but the, the uh, income is much lower. And this is because of tariffs and, and some of the the situation that's an oppressive situation for the island to keep them dependent on the states and and to, to discourage independence from the united states mm -hmm. and um so i went down to help because there's been a series of extreme weather extreme hurricanes um in the last five years i was there for the last one called hurricane fiona and we right. didn't have water uh for maybe four or five days but some of the island didn't get water for three or four months that would never be appropriate in Florida or some of the other states in the United States. But in Puerto Rico, that's normal and they have to be very self-sufficient, independent, self-sustaining, or literally they die. And so right. my my work was to go down and help with emergency preparedness and help people rebuild homes and things like that for the last eight weeks or so. I just returned a few days ago. Right. That's lovely. Well, it's, it's a horrible situation. Um, and I think I mentioned to you that our community's mother house is in puerto rico now mm. in in ponce uh, and uh, after a year they've just moved in um and they're experiencing some issues which are very new for our abbot and the the, the couple of people who live in the mother house um having been living predominantly most of their lives on mainland usa right. um being um uh, you know people who are used to the creature comforts uh, and the issues that they're experiencing in the city are just are uncomfortable. But I'm assuming we're also talking areas that are outside of the city where 
they oh. wouldn't have access to a lot of things a lot of the time. But that's that's the places where you predominantly work. I was working in a number of different settings, but yes, truly in the country, uh, it can be completely closed off. If there's right. a an event, you know, roads are washed out, and these are Puerto Rico is a kind of place in in the archipelago where it's all shoreline on the on the edges and it's populated somewhat on the edges but in the middle it's very mountainous it's a very mountainous island and there's just very curvy steep um narrow roads into these island towns where they can be completely cut off and mm. so where, where i was in aguada um and aguadilla on the west side of puerto rico i was told by people who watched their loved ones um and this is a this is an incredible tragedy. People only beginning to speak of it now. It was so traumatic. Uh, five years later, six years later, after Hurricane Maria, the very devastating, uh, full force um, hurricane that hit Hurricane Maria. Um, these people, if you can even imagine, the U.S. government says sixty four people died, but that could have easily happened in one tiny town. Because what happened is, if you can imagine, anybody who needed life-saving drugs or diabetic insulin, um, anybody who was on a ventilator needed oxygen. This is quite a few people uh, on the island. They're, people are not as healthy as they are in the States. All these people didn't get medicine, didn't get oxygen, and their family members literally watched them suffocate and die. Mm -hmm. And there were no services and they had to literally bury them in their backyard. This happened to dozens and dozens and dozens of people all over the island in, in the most remote areas. People in the capital city didn't happen so much because they would have hospitals closer, but other people were completely cut off. And none of this is widely known in the States or anywhere else. But this was a this was a, a horror, a, a horror like no one should have to go through and they're still traumatized by it. And they're more motivated to, to do things like, um, work, well, they were always working together to help themselves and they, you know, a person might set up a place to get food or to get diapers or things they might need. They're, they can only do so much on their own. And even if people wanted to help, there would be a lot of difficulty getting through roads that had been washed out. So some of it's the climate, some of it is the lack of concern. Um, but really um, what people are realizing with much more clarity is we need off-grid power, we need solar power, we need... Um, ways to harvest rainwater in very efficient ways. And they're realizing this kind of independence and sustainability is a literal life or death situation. The storms aren't gonna get nicer. Uh, the help isn't gonna come. No one's coming to help them. Mm. So if they don't do it, they may or may not survive. And, and there's a kind of sentiment, I think in the United States where people say, well, your US citizen just moved to the mainland and then vote Democrat and everything will go your way. But that is like, <laughs> last thing that would actually help and um there is a kind of colonization coming to the island of of white um white americans coming they're happy to turn it into their paradise without brown people yeah. uh, and people will even say that openly um which is an incredibly colorist or racist thing to say but the people on in puerto rico are very culturally different than people in the united states they have a rich Spanish, um, from the Spanish colonists, they were very rich tradition and speaking Spanish and all of the culture that goes with it on the island. And they don't, it's paradise there. They don't want to move from there. Yeah. There's many ways it's paradise. So 
um, there's a lot of upheaval right now. There's a lot of gringo go home. You'll see this written at very friendly people when they've been pushed to the point where they're saying gringo go home. It's kind of an emergency because yeah. even in protest, when Puerto Ricans protest, they protest by dancing and banging on pan, pans and pots. And people think they're celebrating because they're such a warm group of people most of the time. People think, oh, a parade, how fun. And they're actually upset. <laughs> and they're oh, actually wow. protesting with dancing and singing. But they're getting upset enough now that um, there's, you know, there's, signs in in the graffiti that that are saying we are upset you're displacing us we can't this doesn't work anymore mm. and it's interesting that you mentioned that uh, a lot of the solutions that they're finding are related to sustainability which mm -hmm. brings us around to uh why we wanted to talk to you today yeah uh, just a couple of weeks ago you've come back from spending i think it was two weeks yeah about about 18 days or so. About 18 days at a place called yeah. Earthship. Now, right. could, you, could you kick us off by telling us what is Earthship and mm -hmm. how did you come to uh, learn about it uh, and decide that you wanted to spend some time there? Right. Well, one of the things I learned so much about Earthship through the whole process of uh, looking it up and, and I had been uh, told by someone on Facebook, I was interested in doing charity work of whatever kind um, that was kind of important work. And there was a lot of people who said you could help with the pets and you can help with this your know, beach cleanup. And I was happy to do that. But I was also really interested in helping uh, with actual people and build connections and especially for emergency preparedness. And so someone suggested try Earthship and they're on the west side of the island. What they're, the actual headquarters of Earthship is in um, Taos, New Mexico, and they put Earth ships in different parts of the world. Haiti was another one when Haiti was hit really hard with earthquakes, I believe, or one of the many, um, you know, horrendous problems that's happened in Haiti. And what Earth ships have about six principles that they're built on. One is um, they are off the, they're built off the grid. They're built with at least fifty percent recycled materials. In the case of Earthship Puerto Rico, there's a, they gather from what's sort of in the area. So there was just thousands upon thousands of tires that were like filled with cement used structurally, 50,000 plus bottles and cans used structurally and with cement. And they're built as domes. And these are people that, um, some people were sent from Puerto Rico on a scholarship to learn things. And then a whole team came, a lot of volunteers, um, well over 2,000 volunteers in total for a nine phase situation to build six different structures that are kind of like in a, a villa, if you will. Um, okay. And these structures are designed to, with chimneys to, to cool them. They're designed with solar power, rain catching, and then they do a lot with what's called brown water, black water. They, um, with the rain catching that it's treated and you can use that to to drink and to wash and everything but it's also reused several different times for showering and then that goes into plants that are grown right there in the center and so everything's used and reused and uh, it sounds so wonderful and it's mainly this this is mainly used for education purposes so people can see look what's possible you can and they're earthquake and hurricane resistant or hurricane proof there it would take because of their shape um, they can withstand 
extremely high winds. I don't, I don't know. And they're, they're very, they're sort of low to the ground and they're rounded. And there's a lot to be said for these fascinating, incredible um, structures. And uh, there's, they're meant to be, th so this place in Aguada is meant to be a center, an emergency center when everything breaks down. And remember if you can, that the power will just go out for no reason in Puerto Rico and just be down. <laughs> yeah. This happens, this can happen daily, just boop, two hours with nothing. And so, and that's with no, no bad weather, you know, it could just happen or a, a substation will catch on fire. You know, th this is a patch up job beyond, beyond reason <laughs> on the <laughs> island. So people are just, but people are taken in stride. You don't see the same aggravation that you see in the United States when something goes wrong and, and they call it Puerto Rico time, maybe sometimes in a, in a negative way, like, oh, we're on Puerto Rico time. But what, what's actually happened is people have slowed down and adjusted and are more patient. They're, they're not happy with the situation, but they are not going to let it ruin their you know, ruin their life, ruin their day. They're just like, okay, we're adjusting. Right. And we don't have power for the next X amount of hours and we're going to figure out how to get along without it. And what, you know, we're going to, we have saved water, we've saved this and that. And they're just, they have the generators, they turn the generators on, this is normal. Um, but it's it's kind of a terrible way to continue living, uh, especially in terms of like hospitals, they're always on generators. They, they're not meant to run all these hours at a time, so they break down. It's incredibly expensive way to run things. So things like the Earthship show people more sustainable ways to to do that. But I will, but I will say the truth of the matter is, is this was an imposed solution that came from the outside, right. and it was offered as um, "let us help you" without too much regard for how it can be sustainable. It was kind of put given to one family on their on their farm. And because this family was deemed worthy by by their efforts to be a, a community center of their own during the crisis and they they gave out loads and loads of groceries and supplies would come to their house. They just give them out. And they did an incredible job in, during disaster. So they were like considered like this would be a family that will handle this. Um, but it was also a pet project of some wealthy designer of Earthship who right. wanted this to happen and could get over all of the codes because Puerto Rico was like, we'll take any help we can get. It doesn't have to be up to any code, just build anything, help us in any way. <laughs> so <laughs> then, you, then you realize there's these really immediate drawbacks. For instance, every stair, and there's so many stairs in, in the Earthship complex, every stair is literally a different size. So you have to hold on or you're going to fall. You're probably going to fall when you walk around Earthship. It's because it's just whatever. It's just build whatever. Um, like a like a five-year-old might build something, you know. Um, right. And so you can get away with all this stuff because there's no oversight, right? Um, and it's really for able-bodied people. So the Earthship is really for able-bodied people. Maybe no one will ever get old. Or disabled or sick and then they can use earthship so it's it's not really thought out it's really a solution that comes from the outside knowing that there will be no repercussions for those people because they won't be living there or we can do what it. we want yeah exactly so there it's not it's there's some good intentions there's some positives but it kind of is heartbreaking that this kind of gets dumped 
on these people and they have to keep it up the best way they can. And I believe there's still some financial help for them from Earthship and um, they come back around and they and they try to help with different things. But generally speaking, it's a hardship, it's a burden on this community most of the time, more than it is a benefit, in my opinion. Um, right. And so it's this real mixed blessing. Like, it, yes, it it's good in some ways, but man, you also gave them this huge burden that would need an entire organization to sustain, not just a small family. Mm. So, uh, so the, it's a project in sustainability then, predominantly. That's that's what it's for. Mainly, yeah. W- what were your motivations going in? Like, what was it that drew you to go and spend time there, and and what were you hoping to gain or to leave with after you had been at the Earthship for the the two weeks or so? Right, I was really intrigued by the idea of sustainability, a total sustainable community, you could say. There's, I think I mentioned there's, I think there's six structures, there's different rooms that could be lived in. These are not lived in now. These, this is for an emergency and educational thing only. The, the family lives in the house up, up the hill a little bit, and that's, that's still on the grid and everything like that. But people are brought in, schools are brought in, um, while I was there, they hosted a, a engineers from Cornell. They came in and they learned how everything is is processed through the water system, through the power system, how the how the inverters work. There's there's quite a lot of uh, impressive design and how the whole thing works, um, but it isn't terribly practical. Like I was saying, I wanted to see how 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 does this work? How was it created? Um, what goes into sustaining it? Um, anything that would help me learn this to bring somewhere else or to just be more educated i i have of course a personal connection with puerto rico and those are my people um and i want to be of assistance um i wanted to i mainly was helping earthship with the computer side of a lot of their things i was helping with some practical things too but sort of um getting brand recognition you could say using social media using helping out with tours and getting those um, people to be able to take tours as much as possible they have a lot of tours every week and that's why i was saying when, once you go down there hopefully you get get a tour um for residents of puerto rico it's cheaper to go than from outside because again it's for educational purposes so c- people can realize wow if i had a solar panel in this particular way this could help my family or my community right so i i was really vested in finding seeing how solutions happen in this kind of environment and seeing what i could learn but also just boots on the ground just want to help just tell me what to do i'll i said i'll cook i'll clean i my skills are on the computer and in writing but whatever you need i can help so you rock up to this place on day one what are your first impressions? It's like a, a little hobbit village. It, <laughs> really, if you get to go, you'll think like, what is this like tropical hobbit, a hobbit place? Like it's just so, it, it looks very artistic, this little this little series of dwellings. And um, it's kind of gotten some notoriety, like uh, Instagram and TikTok influencers will come and, and they'll, 
you know, do their little photo shoots there. And it's very beautiful with the, the, the bottles look like stained glass. The, the light comes through the stained glass. It's, it's got this little drawbridge. It's, it's so um, adorable in a way. It's so, it's so unique in its design. It's just kind of breathtaking. And, and it's the hope, like it stands there in hope too, because if things go down and when they go down, maybe in the fall when there's a hurricane, mm -hmm. you know that it can be sustainable online. They, they're they're uh, off the grid, it will still be sustainable. People can contact their family on the mainland. They can contact San Juan and ask for help. You know, that this is an area of Puerto Rico that could be completely cut off right. roads, phone like just imagine nothing working whatsoever no phone nothing and so no food comes in and everything breaks down so it is kind of a, a place of hope at the same time as i say that you know the more you are there and the more you dig in the more you realize this takes a great amount of human power and effort to keep it up to keep it going there's been nine phases but it really never ends. It's no final phase because there's quite a lot of upkeep. There's things that have to be, they need a new um, solar panel system to be upgraded. And and so it's never really done. It's a, a continual process, but it is a beautiful sight to see. And it's, it's unlike most architecture people have ever seen. So mm -hmm. anybody who's gone, goes to Puerto Rico, I would suggest go to the West side and go see it because one is the donations really help. They need donations. They need um people will be interested and contribute but also it's it's kind of a wonder that this was all done with volunteer help you know back-breaking work done by very little machinery just done with sort of hands-on help a lot of recycled um garbage there's this gazebo that was made out of car the hoods of cars right. uh, just <laughs> you know there's a, this found material found in the area so it's kind of um it's sort of beautiful and then sort of a, in a way like a beautiful mess. Um, but it also stands as a kind of monument to the resiliency of people who are suffering. Yeah, I think that's really important just to double back for a second that this is an experiment in sustainability, <clears throat> in sustainable living. Yeah. But in terms of Puerto Rico, at least, mm -hmm. it is uh, a hub where in emergencies, you're saying people will go there to receive support, help, call the mainland, all this sort of thing. So there's actually a practical right. element for this particular earthship as well. Yes. Uh, but but mostly it's about this experiment sustainability and trying to get people to pick up on some of those things. So mm -hmm. every day, what is Lisa doing? What what are you spending your days doing during your time living at the earthship? I stayed in a volunteer area, so I didn't stay in one of the Earthship domes, but Carlos, who's who's uh, the owner, it's, it's his farm, it's his land. Um, for my birthday, he goes, do you want to stay in an Earthship? And I was like, you bet, <laughs> you bet I do. And uh, that was really neat to stay in there one, one day. There are, at the moment, there are two Earthship rooms that you can actually rent on Airbnb. Okay. And that's pretty amazing. I don't know how long that will be possible to do that because I think the um, it will get booked out very quickly as, as they get a name for themselves. It's, um, because it's such a unique experience. Um, I think, and I've also kind of, um, consulted them to say, 
these rooms should be for people who are supporting at a high level of financial support because it um, you need the support and it should be kind of very special to be able to stay. And so I was doing some consulting with them. I did a lot of um, things to, to promote awareness online and um, you know, a typical day would, would involve me creating different designs and doing things with their logo on different in different applications, a lot of sort of behind the scenes, boring computer stuff. Right. <laughs> and then it's also, <laughs> it's also a farm. So there's chickens and goats and, and all sorts of things. There's, since it's a tropical environment, there's just, you know, bananas growing on the trees. There's, there's all kinds of fruit and stuff like that. So they, they also have an aspect that is, um, it needs a lot of upkeep too, as a farm. So they have a visitors, I mean, I'm sorry, a volunteer, um, dwelling where there's bunk beds and they're going to get more people come in they have a lot of pineapples and avocados and so they want it to be a farm where they can you know gather that in and sell it um sell it at the local i believe there's a farmer's market that's like a once a week farmer's market they um carlos is a beekeeper so he has honey and so it's a working farm as well as the sustainable um this off-grid development as well it's it's also on a pretty large farm and um i think during the during the pandemic this was something that that was very difficult to sustain because nobody was coming and the help right. wasn't there so they so they're kind of in a um i believe right now they're in a period of like trying to get back up to uh, up to speed i guess you could say and have enough volunteers and help so my job a lot of times was was online or working with um, Carlos and his son to to help them work out systems that would make it easier for them to do the things they were doing because they're spread so thin with the farm and and tours and beekeeping and everything and really it was um, trying to make it possible for more volunteers to be able to come on a regular basis and get more support. I worked in something that they could have Patreon supporters too, so that they could have regular support. So it was, it was sort of those things. And then sometimes um, it was ordinary things like just, okay, I'm going to make, I'm going to make food. <laughs> you know, just, just super ordinary things too. Well, that was the next question I was going to ask with that ordinary stuff outside of the mm -hmm. stuff you're doing and you're volunteering. Oh. Did you have to kind of change the way that you were doing things because you were living in this uh, sustainable environment in in the sense that you know obviously your power was coming from a particular source water was coming from a particular source did you find yourself having to make some adjustments and changes and live differently within the context of living in earthship um, than you do at home well in puerto rico there's um things are just different in puerto rico in general so there's no hot water on almost any taps anywhere you go uh, there's people have this sort of hookup. If you're lucky, people have this hookup to get a hot shower where it's just like heated right there at the shower. Yeah. Um, and that's just normal. Um, but for Earthship, we were, we weren't living off the grid. We were living on the grid. I should say Earthship is on its own and people visit there and people go there, but that was kind of its own thing. So we were still on the grid. Now, if something happened and the power went out, we would, startup generators or something like that and 
it was just for me, just sort of roughing it a little bit. I was on an air mattress or an army cot out there. Like it was like camping, which I could handle for a couple of weeks, but <laughs> probably after that, not so much. And, you know, you just have to, there's a lot of being in an environment like that. There's a lot of mosquitoes, a lot of ants, a lot of bugs and things that are normal for the area. And you, you adjust in those ways, but in general, um, at where they're located, it's, it's usually well water, um, but in Puerto Rico in general, any kind of municipal water is almost all the municipal water situations in Puerto Rico don't meet federal standards for clean water. There's lead in it, there's there's stuff in it. It's, it's kind of dangerous to drink municipal water in Puerto Rico, just under normal circumstances. So a lot of people buy, have that extra expense and they buy bottled water. Um, I would say, in my particular situations, the Earthship or a different place I volunteered, we weren't thinking so much sustainably as as we were thinking in this kind of not first world way. Uh, it was it was kind of like you're thinking, oh, it's almost like camping in certain regards. You just can't get, you just don't get access to things. The stores just don't have it, or the prices are so extremely expensive, you just don't buy what you can, the conveniences aren't there. Um, and that's part of what I was speaking about before about there's this colony status um, of Puerto Rico where there are specific tariffs um, and, and Puerto Ricans are caught uh, and have been made to have this incredible debt so they can't get away. They, they're kind of, they're kind right. of purposefully caught in this bad situation. Yeah. Um, and, so that's that's the situation there and there's people who want to become a state not realizing that if they become a state they have all these all these um regulations they would have to immediately comply with which would put them in greater debt um i don't know how they get out of what it is you know the residents of puerto rico should be able to decide without pressure from the outside and yet they can never come to the bargaining table as equals, they don't have, uh, they should be able to negotiate equally for their either independence or free association or whatever, but that isn't possible. Um, that has to be granted weirdly by the US government. Right. Well, the US government doesn't have any interest in doing that. <laughs> so it's a, it's a little bit of a strange situation. So as the, the one thing that was going around the internet yesterday or the, all these Caribbean countries celebrating their Independence Day recently. They, it's all around the same time for a lot of places in the Caribbean. And Puerto Ricans are going, hmm, when will we have our Independence Day? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe never. Yeah. So so here you are. You're living in this Earthship. You're experiencing, uh, apart from your volunteer work, you're experiencing and seeing what this sustainable life might look like. Uh, how the buildings can be built in ways that use all the waste and are, are built to stay cool in summer, warm in winter. You've got food being grown. You've got solar power. You're collecting water in special and, and you know ways that means it's sustainable in terms of um, its water source. Mm -hmm. Is there a point in your stay where you suddenly feel or experience a shift in your understanding of our responsibility 
to um, to to the sustainable kind of life from a spiritual or faith perspective? Was there an experience you had where suddenly this took on a greater um, what's the word I'm thinking of a, a greater level of importance, I guess, in how it is you understand your faith and spirituality being played out in the world? You know, let me let me back up a little bit from that question to just speak about um, how it is among the marginalized, because that's a fantastic question, but it also comes from dominance, where you have the luxury to spiritualize a little bit. And for people in Puerto Rico, it's still so visceral and primal and about the necessities that to be able to reflect is quite a privilege too. And I, I ha was able to reflect that way. But I think that um, what a lot of people don't understand is when you don't have clean water and you don't have enough to eat, and these are emergency problems that you deal with in real time and you don't get to think about anything else. So, See, that's really important, isn't it? We forget that. You're absolutely mm -hmm. right. Uh, I turn on a tap and clean water comes out. But when you right. wake up that morning and think, I've got to get some food for my family, I've got to get some water for my family, I've got to make sure that the shelter's okay for my family when mm -hmm. the storm comes in later, yeah. you're not thinking about, hmm, I wonder what things might be from a theological perspective here. So exactly. that's, a, that, exactly. that's a really, really important point. Thank you for raising that. Yeah, just want to put it into perspective. What do people think who live there? Um, me as an outsider coming in, I can have some of the luxury to do that. I'm not going to stay there. I'm visiting. Um, so just to put it in perspective, I, I can do that. People there um, shouldn't ever be uh, feel bad for never getting to that point because they're just survival mode is survival mode, right? Um, and that is another thing that that happens in, I'm just going to speak into this as a kind of bridge builder as well, is that white dominant culture, I'm talking in the United States mainly, but this can apply to other places, is that discomfort, often discomfort or restlessness and, and things in that category, we will count that as suffering. And it's not that it's not suffering, but this is another level of suffering that, that we're not acquainted with and we're not even grasping what, what's happening. Uh, we might occasionally, like in the pandemic when everybody was kind of suffering and, and isolated and there was problems with supply chains and there were lots of problems of people. If you, at least in my surroundings, people dove into a deep depression and had massive problems, had mental health breakdowns. Well, this is normal uh, among the vulnerable minority populations and people in Puerto Rico. This That's normal life. So wow. when, when white, dominant people in the middle class, upper middle class educated people have a little discomfort, they will include that as a suffering. Well, we're not talking about anything remotely the same suffering in a second or, or third world, if you want to say uh, majority world, that would be the majority of the world, majority of the world situation where we really can't relate. And so that's even more reason to go to those places, not, not as a savior, or, or I have the solutions, but to go to those places and just be quiet and learn and, and, and listen and ask and see it a little bit more from the point of view that is essentially the majority of the world. 
you know, the majority of the world is not wealthy. You know, That's right? Right. So yeah. it's a way to turn our perspective to understand the marginalized in a real felt, in a real felt way, which can be incredibly overwhelming because you realize you can't actually do anything about it. Yes. You can identify with them. You can help a little, you can help a little, maybe that person in front of you, but ultimately you will feel so, so helpless. And you have to be okay with that coming up. And, mm -hmm. and that's also a kind of suffering that, that necessarily I'm speaking for myself that white people will be very uncomfortable with, oh, I don't like that. Don't talk about that. I don't want to, <laughs> that's too much for me. Well, it is too much. It feels very hopeless. The, the point is that if you think it feels hopeless to not be able to help how you would like to help and make a difference, imagine just staying in that situation all the time and just operating from that. Right. Operating from, you can't get out of that. You're, that's your fate. You know, that's, it's not uncomfortable. It's literally existential. Will we have enough to eat? Will the water be cleaner? Will we get sick again? You know, it's so immediate. And from that, I'll pivot to say, the thing I learned the most by being in a place that offers the opportunity of stability, but it, it is also somewhat of a fiction because this isn't really available. It's a taste that isn't really available yet. It's a hope and a taste. What I learned maybe the most theologically speaking, spiritually speaking, is that how vital relationships and connections are. Like that is the, that is the blood of how things work or don't work work in community down in Puerto Rico they are they are made or broken based on the relationships and the, the cooperation and the empathy between people and people from the outside really understanding and really connecting or if they have selfish interests or maybe they have conflicted interests it is the relationships and the bonds that are what sustain or bring life or, or death dealing to a community. And that's what was so powerful to me. So when I moved to the next place I volunteered, which was called Mi Patria, a organization founded by two Puerto Rican people from New, New Yorkans from New York, but moved down to Puerto Rico, both bilingual, both veterans, um, former veterans in the military and their love and passion for people on the island suffering much the same things, displacement, housing problems, uh, also working in emergency preparedness. They're, the ways that they would reach out and give of themselves and really becoming, coming alongside, like truly coming alongside people. And that was what made the most powerful impression on me is that um, if the relationship doesn't come first and just the idea of how to help is coming or the, I'm, the way to, let me try to fix this is coming first is backwards. You know, it's the relationship. Someone would rather have you support them be by their side and you make no actual difference. than you come in and click, you know, do a few problem solving clicks and then be gone. You know, they, they need you as a person and you as a presence too. Yeah, I've done a bit of work in Burma, Thailand and Tonga, um, wow. consistent work. And yeah. I really hear what you're saying here strongly. Then the difference that you see 
when relationships are forged to when there's this fly in, disappear, we'll come do the thing we want to do and you'll kind of like it (laughs) and then we're going to go home. Um, The difference is phenomenal. In the second case, it's actually a burden, which is what you were saying before. You know, this earthship originally came and the people received it, yes, but almost in a way that they felt like they had to um, if they were going to get some help. Right. But it's actually been quite a burden on the local community to keep this thing there and keep it going and to build it in a way that's going to to work. Whereas the relationships, and, and I, I love what you've said here because we often think of sustainability as simply being about the solar power, the getting the water, the making sure there's sustainable food, teaching sustainable this, that, and the other. You know, these people in Puerto Rico have been living there for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. It's not like they don't know how to get these things and make these things happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, here in Australia, many of our farmers have turned to our First Nations people mm-hmm. to talk about better crops to plant and better ways to water their crops mm-hmm. uh, and to find water for their crops. And so... You know, these people know the land uh, and, and Indigenous First Nations peoples know their land so, 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 so well. And we often bring our Western ideas and try and superimpose that on top. But if it's going to be sustainable, and I think this is a key word here, it's not just about solar power and clean water and all these other things. They're important, but to make it sustainable, and that is long-lasting, right. the relationship is key and vital the the sharing and the i love the way you said true coming alongside um not pretending this is actually and and long term right this is not just a hello we're not here not just years oh. but generations i'm speaking of not just yes. years or decades but your children will then come and then their children will then come like we're talking this is for generations we got to think about like that they say then the native peoples in, in the united states would try to think seven generations ahead I can't even imagine Americans thinking one and a half generations ahead, I, especially well, baby boomers. That I don't think that concept even exists. Most but politicians can't even think more than four years ahead. Four years right? <laughs> to the next maybe. election, right? No, you're right. It's there's such an immediacy in in our thinking, but but you're right. Sustainability it involves it involves real things like like food and water and and power, but but relationships standards. Sustainability. If that's not there, what do you, what do you have? There's nothing without relationship sustainability that actually has to last more than an election cycle. That has to last more than a few seasons or growing seasons. Like it, it is the the uh, crux of the whole thing. And when people people know in sincerity or they know that you're a special project, immediately they know they can tell. They can tell that you're okay you want to get something for your resume or this is a this is a cool pro- pet project for you and you're yeah. going to move on to the next cool pet project soon they know that they're not stupid they're just desperate for help that's right you know? yeah so, it's funny yeah, it's about we... respect and honor as well so it's it's like right would you are you respecting them as a totally as an equal or do you feel like well they're so they're so pathetic and sad anything i do will help it's like but would you to appreciate that if that happened to you yeah dignity mm-hmm. dignity right. 
Do you think that we've forgotten this, particularly in the West, actually probably only in the West, because we like convenience and building relationships takes time. It takes uh, us away from the things we want to do. And it's mm. so much easier just to send some money. Mm. Well, that experience is, and productivity plagues the Western mind, I think, and it can really cut us off from deeper things. Um, I think there might be some white supremacy involved in that, meaning that uh, our way is the best way. Look how much we've accomplished. Obviously, we're the best. <laughs> look at us. Look at right. us. We're obviously the best. So our way must be the best way. And sometimes the best way is the slow the slow way uh, and that means it takes longer it's harder in different ways it takes more patience you can go in and out in um you know shock and awe <laughs> the american way uh or you can or you can do the long slow journey of becoming almost like a family member to a community where you're just like hey we're here we're taking your direction you're in charge here not us and we we have some resources, how would that help you? But it's so seldom that we don't come in to situations with some agenda, like, hey, we've done this before, don't worry, Superman's arrived. Um, and it's just such a hard wired ingrained mentality. We don't consider that people in that situation would have their own wisdom and their own strategies and just have right. not quite the resources yet to, to be able to do it. And a lot of times, they're so, again, so desperate for help or in such peril, they'll, they'll be like, anything's better than nothing. So please just don't leave. Please just help us with, you know, and they try to figure out how to make it work later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everyone goes home and now it's suddenly like, I know we've got to repaint that wall now, <laughs> but let's just enjoy it for the next five minutes. Uh, so, so how do we remember these things, if we're going to create sustainable lifestyles, uh, and obviously what we're talking about here is sustainability must go beyond our energy, must go beyond our water, must go beyond uh, the way we live and must include relationships. Uh, and I love the way you threw in that that, that idea of, of slowing things down and going at a slower pace. Yeah. Um, how, how do we remember to do that what can we do where we live right now to to keep those important things before our eyes i can maybe just speak for myself i don't know there's probably a number of answers but one thing that helps me to remember that i not only do i not have all the answers i have so so much to learn is is just remembering that we're all always students and people, no matter if, if they have, you know, not everybody has a master's degree. I have a master's degree, but big deal. I know some things about certain things, but there's so many things I don't know. And I have this opportunity to meet people and learn, and I should never waste those opportunities. It's sometimes a matter of ego or, you know, what kind of humility are we coming with to a situation? And when we come in as a learner and not as a as an authority or a teacher or a boss um, we just come in to listen and learn for real not <laughs> not as a posture that we take in order to get an inside track I, I think that we don't tend to in the west possibly spend that much time 
listening, learning, and adapting to the culture, we will impose our culture elsewhere. And that is a violence. That's actually a violence. And it means that we aren't prepared to learn or listen or adapt. And solving things usually well, you know, requires a lot of voices to, to do it well, or you just wind up solving one sort of problem and maybe making other problems. But in the instances where people from that those areas are empowered themselves from the inside, that's that becomes sustainable because those are the people who are already doing the, the best things, you know, the, the most, they're already respected in, in a community. They already have weight there and influence. And mm. instead of plopping something from the outside, you, you say, you know, you're revered in this in this environment. You you are loved and respected. What do you need from us? Um, the solution comes from you. Now, if you just need money and extra hands, fine. But here's some of the things we've done. Any of this look good to you? We're not going to make any of those decisions. This is coming in as a support, not coming in as a solution. And I think that um, it's, it takes a lot of humility because our our culture in the West is very dominant, domineering, and and even sometimes well intentioned in that way. Like we have the solution. Trust me, we've done this before. We'll do it again. And it could be very out of a kindness that we'll do that, um, and sometimes out of a violence. But I think that's the thing is that if we we really check those ambitions or something, those intentions and ambitions and say, I am coming in to learn and listen and realize that you're my leader. You know, you're, I'm here to learn and you're my leader and I will support you in the way that you ask for support and resource you in the ways you need resourcing, not solve your problem. And it will take longer than I would have taken. My solution would have been boop, done, finished, we're moving on. No, this will take way, way longer. And that might be frustrating to me. And that's fine. It's okay for me to be frustrated if the solution is sustainable. Um, and I, I think that that's the patience needed to do that requires a lot more inner work first before you get it yourself into those situations. Yeah. Um, right. So it's, it's like, you have to, you have to be okay with your your choice or your solution not being picked and it'll seem so inefficient and it'll seem not like you want it and it won't go the way you want it to go but it will help more people in the long run who actually are from there and to kind of get used to that way of working see, see lisa when we got on this conversation and started this interview i thought <laughs> that we would be talking about water and power and all these other things which are very important and there's, there's yeah. obviously puerto rico and many other places of the world need support with those things that's that's very very true mm -hmm. but what i'm hearing you saying to me is that you know when i asked the question before about um where did you start to see what this looked like from a spiritual faith theological angle yeah. right that really what it all boils down to is relationship and the first thing that's come into my head in the last sort of 10 minutes that we've been talking here and you've been talking more and we've been unpacking more about what this relationship looks like mm. is a reminder that however you understand god from the christian perspective mm. um there seems to be this plurality to god 
this relationship within God, this mm. usness to God, which really, if we're made in God's image, should remind you and me that we are not me, we are us. Um, there is a there is a relationship to be had here, and that perhaps the experience of earthship for you is this realization that, and it certainly is for me as you talk about it. I'm really taken yeah. by this, mm. but at the core of our sustainability, our Earth's sustainability, even ecologically, right. there has to be relationship. There has to be this usness, not this me and you, not this. Mm. I'm here and you're there, not this, we've got this, you haven't, but a true relationship of community. That's And you you used the word humble before, which I think is an incredibly powerful word to include. Yeah. And a deference, a deference to the other. So the the thing we might assume if someone's in great need and great suffering, they need me, right? But we don't think that, we need them. We do need them. Yeah. But and we have to believe that going in first. We right. need them as much as they need us. It's that mutuality that if we don't get that straight in our heads first, we will do violence in some regard to the, a culture or to a group, or we will think of them out of order. You know, we are equals and that we won't think of them that way. There'll be some perverse perversion to our interaction in some regard that will sort of poison the possibility of sustainability or poison it in some regard i think that that is that is the inner work that that's kind of my jam right spiritual formation doing the inner work but if you don't get that right first you you're kind of promised these these little time bombs in the work you do that can blow up and cause hurt feelings cause resentment later cause um you know these these real rough patches in in how cultures connect or you know don't connect and if we truly are doing it out of love and not out of an ego project then it doesn't (laughs) matter about about our humility won't matter to us right it'll be normal that'll be normal how we approach it in humility like i'm i'm coming as a learner i have some resources that you are free to have but i'm not coming here with my ego project because we're this is about love ego project i love that (laughs) i love that don't hold back lisa tell us how you really feel Um. (laughs) we all do it we all we all whether we know our ego project consciously or we don't it's there yeah that's kind of how we operate right i'm just i'm speaking for myself and you you will either know your ego project up front or you'll get to know it. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe I'm frustrated because my ego project isn't being satisfied. Maybe right. that's why I'm frustrated, right? And so just knowing that we will have we'll, we'll have one in some regard. So it's gonna it's okay. You know, thing to like beat yourself up about, but just like acknowledge it's probably somewhere in there is an ego project, right? So yeah. the, the the solution to that, but the, the thing that will that will reduce that is is saying okay my ego project can be reduced by being a student learning realizing that someone other than me should be of a leader in this scenario in this relationship um and just kind of making sure we remember who we are you know the um yeah that's 
that's the, the ticket because as we as we get that wrong, we can't expect any of the work we do to to really come out properly. Wow. Uh, this next question is sort of in two parts because I was going to ask you, you mentioned before about doing the hard work before you go in, before you go mm -hmm. to something like this, before you take part in this sort of work, doing some hard work, some inner work for yourself. Right. Uh, and I was also going to ask you, if you could do it over or if you go back, how would you prepare yourself? But I think it's almost kind of the same question. Mm. So whether it's for me sitting here or our listeners sitting wherever or you sitting there, mm. in going to participate in this sort of work in the future, and you're a spiritual director, um, what what can we do to prepare ourselves for this? What What sort of... Can you give us some a couple of practical ideas on this inner work that we can do mm. to to go in and have a a time and a place like this that will actually bring some benefit? Mm. Well, I think incorporating a few now if this if this is an enormous burden to do spiritual practices, I think you should probably do a spiritual practice you really connect with that's worked for you before. But I think any spiritual practice, such as for me, it would be maybe journaling. And the examine prayer, you know, that's like a an inventory of your day, and not something that's going to bring you shame and, and stop you, but something that would be sort of generative and life giving. That you do that prior to going somewhere where you can kind of empty out uh, some of the things lodged in your inner world, some of the hangups that you might have, some of the fears, um, some of the unknowns, and just get them out there, just get them off of you. Um, just to know that they exist. Your fears, befriend them. Don't worry that you have fears or of the unknown. I mean, we're going to all have them. Like, am I going to fail at this or whatever? Put, put, just put them out there to know. And I would say that preparing your heart, you're never going to prepare yourself perfectly because you don't know what situation you're going to get into or what personalities you're going to come up against. But allowing yourself to be, to be open in the sense that you're attuned to the relationships and people around you, but you're also flexible enough to um, to not take things personally when stuff happens, to not consider that, consider something that happens, a misunderstanding, any kind of personal thing, that you're open enough to be, you know, um, I'm here to learn in terms of where you can reflect later, maybe on the end, at the end of the day or every so often, some of the things you've learned, because as you are open to that if you ask god um show me what you want to show me and you continue you will you will see what you need to see and mm -hmm. that might be for right then or that might be for later or it might be for both and then you keeping track of it in a journal or, or something along those lines you could write a poem instead or you could take pictures and write something about the pictures there's many iterations of how that could happen but i would and this is this is how I prepared myself is that I tried to lay aside all my preconceived thoughts about how it should go or what should happen and try to be as open to people and and uh, without any judgment of how they should act towards me or how they should behave or how things were going to go and just just offer myself in love. So if I would be 
speaking to somebody, I would really be in some part of myself sort of saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. And, and as if God is doing that through me, because I feel like that way I can be the most open to um, showing God's love and receiving God's love that happens through a, another person. Um, and just that's the openness I mean. So it's like fear will shut us down or apprehension or, you know, the unknown will we'll kind of close us off. And that is a disconnection from other people that just works as a disconnector. And so if we do the inner work of, of kind of coming to grips with whatever is inside without feeling bad about it, just kind of noticing and recognizing, we can be a little bit more honest with whatever that is first. And sort of it doesn't have to be that driver that drives us in all of our interactions and and just give yourself if, if whatever you find if you wind up finding things um give your be safe for yourself so mm. be a friend to yourself and and if things come up that you are ugly or things you don't like just be like that's okay i'm gonna that's true and that's okay and we're moving on and you know and just continue to try to be open because as we're trying to be open people will sense that openness and that vulnerability they reciprocate it if we come in kind of closed and i'm not sure and uh, i don't know if i'm going to do the right thing they just mirror that back to us so right. i just found that becoming being as open and loving as possible uh not in any kind of not in any kind of saccharine way, but just um, flexible, open, and ready to learn in every way, by God, by those people, by the situation. And um, to me, that was the best way to also to not be disappointed, like ha not having a preconceived thought of if this happens, this is a win. If this happens, it's not a win. And for me, that's worked. And I, I wouldn't suggest that my way is that's just for me and my personality uh, other people might find a better route but for me i knew that the openness and flexibility would be key to my getting the most out spiritually and relationally what's the best thing that you brought away from earthship for yourself oh probably that just that we need each other so badly yeah. Um, it's it can be life or death it can be spiritual life or death um, we all need help whether we know it or not and in an affluent country we don't think we need each other and we really go it alone and you can see the difference between culture here in the United States that, that is really stuck stuck out as I've come back and in Puerto Rico is that people are kind of aggressive and angrier <laughs> and don't have time for each other and when you're in a situation where you need you have more need you your relationships are just better out of necessity but but also because it perpetuates itself if you if you are kinder to your neighbor it, it perpetuates kinder interactions completely if you're if you're in the states if you don't really know your neighbor your actual neighbor and you see them, you're not really that motivated to stay in touch with them because well, they're on their own and you're on your own. And that perpetuates too. So the distance perpetuates. And I've thought about the differences between in Puerto Rico, if you're eating your food outside in a, a restaurant or something, everyone who comes back says, 
bien provecho. They say, enjoy your meal. Every single person will tell you, enjoy your meal. I'm like, and they mean it. They really mean it. You know, it's just, it's just a difference. You know, people will want you to enjoy yourself. Um, and there's something about that culture that is a shared experience, like a shared life experience of people realize that they're sharing life with you, even if they don't know you, they don't know you're not a friend yet, perhaps. Um, that's something I'd like to bring back. And I was just at the bank today and these are the grouchiest bank tellers. Like, I don't know why. I don't, I don't know what happened. I was just thinking like, but why, why be miserable? Why, why treat me like I'm the enemy? I'm just a customer. You know, it's just, yeah. I just wanted to, I just wanted to look them in the eye and say, is everything okay? Cause everything is okay. You know, you, you'll feel everything will be okay. And they're like, uh, 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 you know, they're really short with me, but I, I don't know why, you know, I, and I'm just thinking, um, we don't, we don't have to live like with these distances and with these short, these short uh, sort of semi-hostile or prickly interactions with each other. We can be generous in spirit, generous in, in our interactions and, and consider that we'll see that person again, consider that we'll have many opportunities to interact again. And um, that's the sustainability piece we're kind of talking about. Like, are we treating people as though we'll see them again and interact with them again and need them? You know, mm. probably not. We're probably treating them like oh, pretty good. I got it pretty good. You you have it pretty good. I have it pretty good. We probably don't need each other. Yeah, it makes a big difference, doesn't it? Lisa, if uh, people want to find out more about Earthship, there's a website they can go to. Yeah, there's EarthshipPuertoRico.org. Okay. And uh, yeah, and I'd appreciate if people listen to my podcast, which is called Spark My Muse. You could just Google. I was just going to say, where Muse. where can we hear more about you? So you've got a yeah. website, a blog you mentioned. I do. Before. Yeah, you can go to LisaDelay.com or SparkMyMuse.com. I have uh, episodes coming out every Wednesday, and my book is called The Wild Land Within by Broadleaf Books. I would love. Uh, more attention on the book because it was released right in the middle of the pandemic and everybody was worried about staying alive. So <laughs> it didn't get the readership. That well, I, I will, hoped. I will say personally that I, I love the book. I'm halfway through and I'm really, oh, really course. loving what's in there. And I'll, I'll have to have you back on the show to talk about the book when I'm done, if that's okay. I, I oh, want to love it. do a standalone episode about that. Uh, but thank you so much for sharing today with us about your time at Earthship and that yeah. unexpected lesson um in yeah. sustainability which i think is such a beautiful beautiful lesson all those links that you mentioned we'll put in the show notes mm -hmm. uh so folks if you want to uh hear more from lisa or see more from lisa or read the book uh before we do the interview and you listen yeah. to her talk about it always read the book first don't wait for the podcast uh <laughs> then jump on that and you'll find that uh, at all the usual outlets um, and uh, I, I must say, yeah, it's, it's a really good book, Lisa, and we'll, we'll get you back to talk about that soon too. Yeah. Thanks so much for Mark, being with us today. You, thank you, Mark, and thank you for just noticing that sustainability is a much bigger issue than than what we see that's just right in front of us, that it really goes down deep. That's brilliant. It really does. Thank you so much, Lisa. Have a great night. Mm -hmm. See ya. You too.